1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by USBets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And let's start the show with a shout out to one of our co-workers, two-time Gamble On guest, Jeff Edelstein who gave his faithful readers an almost 20-to-1 parlay bet in his Friday Sports Handle column last week and nailed it. Uh, and and I fortunately made the semi-impulsive decision while editing the column to go <laughs> along for the ride. Uh, he had the Patriots minus seven against the Jets, which sounded to me like the right side. He had the Packers minus seven and a half against Washington, which I also agreed with. Uh, he had over 47 in the Bengals-Ravens game, which I had no opinion on really and he had the titans money line against the chiefs which i believe was a reasonable upset pick uh all four legs came in it paid at plus 1987 at caesars where jeff bet it Uh, i made the parlay at a different book for slightly less money but getting an extra half point to play with in that bengal's ravens game and by four o'clock or so sunday afternoon I was really wishing I'd bet more than five bucks on it. Uh, John, are you ready to retract every bad word you've ever said about parlay bets?
3: Uh, well, Eric, there's an old phrase, uh, the exception that proves the rule, which <laughs> confuses the hell out of a lot of people, but it actually makes sense. And people can Google that and, and uh, get to the bottom of what that means. But uh, you know, here, what I really liked about Jeff's premise is that if he can hit two of these all season mm-hmm. he can make money and i think with this one he might not even need another one so that makes some sense to me if people must parlay that's the right attitude i compare it to somebody who walks past a roulette table and puts 50 bucks on a random number i mean you might as well set the bill on fire uh, it's just not uh, gonna work out uh of course in the smoking area if there is one in that casino um yeah but but if you take 10 or 12 tries you might actually win And you can walk away with a profit, but I doubt any roulette players actually do that. Still, they could, right? Now, Washington had a couple of weird non-scoring drives from near the goal line in that game and apparently flirted with the backdoor cover as the game neared its end. But the other picks apparently were really, really good. So he and you, I think, deserve to win.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he calls that part of his column the uh, plus 1,000 or more parlay bet of the week or something like that. And so so a lot of the times it's just a little over 10 to 1, but he did specifically say – if this one hits, I only need uh, we we only need to hit once out of eighteen weeks, yeah. and, and we're ahead. And uh, and I actually had my best NFL betting weekend ever. Um, I only made three real life bets, and they were all. Big plus money bets, and they all won at least partially. Um, I had this bet for almost a hundred bucks, uh, which Jeff gets the credit for. Um, I had a huge hit by my standards uh, with a Fanduel first touchdown scorer bet on the Monday Night game. Um, they had a promo, you know, bet twenty five dollars and get a five dollar bonus for every touchdown your team scores in the game. So you figure on average you'll get ten or fifteen dollars of your twenty five dollars back. Mm-hmm. Good deal, and the promo email specifically just threw out as an example, DK Metcalf at plus 850. And I looked at the options and I figured he was as good as anyone. So I took that for 25 bucks. Now I would normally bet like 10 bucks on something like that. Uh, and so it, it hit for a little over $200. Um, so uh, so FanDuel's promo department gets the credit for my win on that one. Uh, and then there is one that I get to take all the credit for. I did a four-team Moneyline Round Robin, which is where it pairs every different combination of the teams you pick into little mini parlays. I had three underdogs uh, with the Bengals, Colts, and Seahawks, one favorite, the Packers, they all hit except the Seahawks. So three of the six round Robin combos were winners. So that turned $24 risked into $66. And if the Seahawks had won, it would have been like 150 bucks. So I don't normally like to brag. And uh, of course, to, to real gamblers that money that I won is nothing. Um, But I feel it's important in light of my fast five performance this year to take a moment and uh, assure everyone yeah. that I, I'm doing I'm <laughs> doing fine I'm not hopeless at sports betting I'm just hopeless at one specific type of sports betting.
3: All right yeah I think the bottom line is that Jeff has won me over to that idea you're going to bet one parlay like this, all 18 weeks, and you expect to lose. 16 or 17, possibly 18 and, and, you (laughs) know, like any, any gambling, assume you lose all 18 and that money you can afford to lose, but you definitely might win one and you might even win two that. I don't think is so terrible.
1: All right. Uh, works for me. I like the attitude and yeah, I, definitely the the part, the key part you pointed out is go in expecting to lose all 18. Yeah. Uh, gamble with money where if you lost all 18, it wouldn't affect your lifestyle in any significant way. That's uh, the bottom exactly. line there. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 166 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 165 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. We might not give out any tw- 20 to one parlay winners on the podcast. We're not earning our listeners any money, but you can't put a price on the information and entertainment we provide.
3: Right, John? Uh, well, I think uh, somebody is probably out there working on an algorithm on that. I mean, this is <laughs> 2021 after all, but uh, we're not quite there yet. Okay. So uh, coming up a little later on the show, though, we're going to be joined by the National Council on Problem Gambling's executive director, Keith White. Uh, we'll get the inside scoop from Keith on how his organization's $6.2 million partnership with the NFL came together. And we'll also get his take on in-game betting and how regulators feel about addressing problem gambling. The first has been yet another too busy for this old man week in the world of gambling. <laughs> (laughs) So let's get to it.
2: Here's your Gamble On News of the Week an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
1: We're taking a different approach to the news segment this week because there's been so much news that's simply too important to ignore. We're going to do five stories instead of our usual three but we'll try to keep it moving lightning round style uh shorter discussions on each of these and we start with the latest on new york's mobile sports betting plans as the state has revealed its so-called final tax rate matrix with different possible tax percentages on sports betting revenue depending on how many operators and how many platform providers the state ultimately has At the high end, it could be a 64% tax rate if there are only four or five operators. On the low end, it could be 35% if there are more than a dozen operators. We still might not know which operators are getting licensed until December 6th. But in the meantime, John, Thoughts on this somewhat confusing tax matrix and on the possibility of New York taxing as high as 64 percent?
3: Yeah, I mean, New York is kind of like that high maintenance guy or gal you knew in high school who was all too aware of their sex appeal, right? Frankly, (laughs) they didn't have to be kind or compassionate or friendly or whatever to uh, (laughs) snag a day with almost anyone they wanted. Let's be realistic. The tax rate is brutal, but it's New York, damn it. And even better for them, they have gotten the jump on California, Texas, and Florida, the other yeah. behemoths in the U.S. So, I mean, if someone folds at this high stakes poker table, does that jeopardize their chances in one of the other big states with those lawmakers or regulators are wondering, well, you're not in New York, so who are you really? No matter how big the name, right? Does anybody feel lucky? If I'm one of the big boys, I'm all in here. Pay up. You know, a number of industry insiders have said, too, that the smart players to accept whatever beatings you have to to win this game. And then soon enough, you explain it to all the 10 year tax price has to be revamped down downward otherwise, you know, we'll have to offer such crappy odds that the anticipated tax revenue won't be reached so well. So everybody loses and we don't want that. So, you know, while you're dating New York, you got to give in to whatever it is. But once you marry her, 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 her him, uh, you got a better shot. So, you know, as you can tell, I'm enjoying the hell out of this one. I mean, yes. sometimes just having a front row seat is more fun, if less lucrative. Them being out there in the field of play like these poor operators are.
1: <laughs> that analysis was exactly what I teased at the top of the show. I- informative and entertaining all at once. Uh, well done there. Um, the, the the basic concept of the matrix makes sense, although it's all unnecessarily complicated, if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, but, but the idea that if you have more operators, you can tax each one a little less and still make a lot of money for the state, that, that makes sense it hammers home how clearly what's best for the betters is more operators, you know, more books for betters to choose from. They'll have to compete harder for customers Mm. and the tax rates being a little lower won't persuade those books to offer more unbeatable lines. Um, Would some of the sports books want to pay more in taxes for the privilege of having fewer competitors? Mm. Maybe. Um, But, I don't think the presence of, say, a a points bet or a win bet or a bet river, some of those operators who don't dominate like DraftKings, FanDuel and BetMGM. I don't think their presence takes away much business from the big boys. Uh, Now, if FanDuel could be in New York with no DraftKings, I'm sure they'd love that. But that's not happening. So it may as well have a have a dozen competitors and pay a 35 percent tax rate, uh, which would still be one of the highest in the country, by the way.
3: Yeah, I mean, New York's going to make a ton of money. And, uh, uh, you know, I I appreciate that states have different Uh, Rationales. We've talked about New Jersey where, you know, they want to look out for the casinos and racetracks in the state because they've had casinos closed in Atlantic City. They've had racetracks on the the brink of oblivion and they want to make sure that they're safe. So they have a low tax rate uh, for that reason. There's a lot of jobs involved, a lot of outside things beyond just the the general gambling. Uh, And yet, you know, New Hampshire, the lottery was very clear. Look, we want to max out how much revenue we can bring to the state through the lottery. So we're going to have an exclusive deal with DraftKings. And the long as it's upfront and honest and the residents there are like good with that, it's okay. It's not great for the consumer not having uh, options, but um, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's honest and New York is going to make a ton of money on this. So I'm cool with it. All
1: right, Uh, moving on to our second news item. It's a follow-up on something we discussed a few weeks ago when DraftKings offered a $22 billion proposal to acquire Entain. Well, a proposal is not quite an offer. It led to a window of time during which DraftKings could complete an offer. But on Tuesday, the sports betting and DFS giant dropped the bid even after Entain had extended the deadline to mid-November. So DraftKings will not take this big step, at least not at this time, to challenge flutter in the European market. John, any insight into DK floating this massive move and then sheepishly backing out?
3: Well, you know, our our former podcast guest, Lloyd Denzig, whose business it is to understand such complicated transactions and negotiations, as opposed to us. uh, He said at the East Coast Gaming Conference in Atlantic City this week that he has more questions than answers on this deal at this point. You know, I mean, another panelist, I think it was uh, noted that if DraftKings didn't think their offer would be accepted, well, you know, you have to kind of know when to hold them and when to fold them and know when to walk away or in this case, uh, when to run. Uh, That's my interpretation anyway. And I think that seems plausible. So there's more to this. And uh, it's a pretty cool $22 billion backstory coming, but uh, I don't think anybody's gotten to the bottom of it yet.
1: Right. Okay. I guess what interests me most here is to see what happens next in terms of whether MGM will make another run at Entain, knowing their $11 billion offer last time wasn't big enough, but now having some ammo to say $22 billion is too big and then maybe come in way lower than that. I'm curious what the next step is going to be. Um, An and interesting note from Matt Reiboltowski on this, that uh, DraftKings' stock price went up on the news that they dropped the bid. And previously, the stock price had gone down when the proposal was offered. Uh, I guess that means the market wasn't a fan of the Entain takeover idea. I, I mean, I, I don't totally get the stock market, even after all these years uh, of it being uh, sort of part of my world. Uh, I, I think I understand it actually even less than I understand NFTs. But, um, but th- those trends with DraftKings stock definitely caught my eye.
3: Yeah, it it is amazing. I mean, like I said, we've got front row seats to these massive, you know, alpha males, alpha females. I mean, they're going at it. There is so much money to be made worldwide on us gambling expansion. And uh, you know, like I said, I like, uh, I like having a good seat for it, but yeah, we're not getting to the bottom of this one yet either. (laughs) No.
1: All right. Um, (laughs) Next up uh, more September sports betting handle and revenue numbers are trickling in and The big news this week is that Nevada just had its biggest handle month ever at $786.7 million, crushing the previous high of $659.2 million and locking itself in a little while longer as the second biggest betting state behind only New Jersey. This also puts us on pace nationally to cross the $5 billion mark in September, something I wasn't so confident of last week after New Jersey and Pennsylvania's numbers came in. Uh, meanwhile, we have official numbers from the first month of legal betting in South Dakota, and they're a wee bit smaller than in Nevada. Uh, betting is only allowed in person, and it's only happening in Deadwood, and Handel was about $440,000, with a hefty 16.1% win rate for the house on that small sample size. Uh, John, anything to comment on with any of these numbers?
3: Yeah, I'm just wondering, uh, does South Dakota even have bookies uh, or internet service (laughs) allowing for offshore wagers to be placed there? I I really don't know. I haven't been there. Um, As far as the other one, I'm not a Yankees fan and have never been a fan of their collective smugness of that fan base. So I just, uh, it's just it's putting to me, but you know when Nevada sets its own personal best and handle, and it's more than twenty percent lower than the one billion racked up and handled in my home state of New Jersey last month. To be honest, I feel about as smug as a bug in a rug.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Well, enjoy enjoy it while you can. I mean, New Jersey is not going to be on top forever, but they've stayed on top yeah. uh, probably a little longer than some people would have projected, and and got there faster than some people would have projected. So yeah, enjoy, enjoy it while you can. Um, but 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 it is a great number for Nevada at any rate. Uh, And and it hammers home what most people in the know have said all along. The spread of legalized sports betting is good for Nevada, at least until California gets it. Then then we'll reassess. Um, But meanwhile, that that win rate in Deadwood. Oh, boy. Um, It's just a few weeks. Could be a random outlier. But it makes you wonder if South Dakota bettors are just really bad at this.
3: Uh, Or they're betting nothing but parlays, perhaps.
1: (laughs) Could be. Could be. Because, right, that 16.1% is close to what the standard parlay hold is. Sure. All right. um, Speaking of new sports betting states like South Dakota and the handle they're generating, we have some information from the first weeks of betting in Connecticut, Uh, not regarding the handle amounts, but about where the bets are coming from. According to GeoComply, 38% of the mobile bets in Connecticut have come near the New York border. Uh, So not too surprisingly, we have a second state eating New York's lunch, if only for a few months before New York reclaims some of its lunch. Uh, As a resident of the state that's been devouring New York's lunch for the last three years, John, what do you make of these GeoComply stats?
3: Well, this is a special metaphor episode of Gamble On, so I will just say that (laughs) New Jersey is the wedding guest that is first to scoop up hors d'oeuvres at the reception uh, starts, and then they grab two plates full of entrees and make like a revolving door back and forth at the dessert table. Eating New York's lunch, New Jersey has been gorging on their expensive food for three and a half years, and they aren't done binging yet. Connecticut is the guest that got stuck in traffic, missed the appetizers, missed a dinner and had settled for a possibly partially eaten piece of cake near the garbage pail and a couple of getting stellar by the minute dinner rolls. If they had planned correctly, they could have had a feast like New Jersey has enjoyed. Burp. Oh, excuse me. You can cut that part out, Eric, for our more squeamish subscribers. But we're feeling, like I said, pretty smug over here in Jersey.
1: Because you said the word burp and didn't actually burp, I'll, <laughs> le- I'll leave it in. I think I think All that's right. safe. This okay. causes me to go onto a, a a quick uh, detour here. What is your wedding or general, uh, you know, catered event? Uh, eating strategy. I know some people say just load up on hors d'oeuvres. They're the best part. Eat until you're full. And if you don't have much room left for the meal, no big deal. Do you do that? Or do you, do you limit yourself a little on the hors d'oeuvres to make sure to save some room for the main course?
3: Yeah. I'm not really a dessert person. I don't have a sweet, sweet tooth. So I don't have that to worry about. Right. You know, that's c- clearly a, a key part of most people's strategy. Um, hors d'oeuvres, it depends. Fancy, uh, yeah, that's a little beyond my uh, deal. I mean, <laughs> at least at least I'm getting some form of rubber chicken for the uh, for the entree, or perhaps even a piece of real meat. Um, so that's that's pretty much the key for me. I, I'm focused on the main course. I think.
1: Okay, I go I go a little more in the other direction. I, if, mm-hmm. As long as the hors d'oeuvres are good and I'm enjoying them, I'll just keep eating them and and mm-hmm. if. It, fills me up it fills me up um back to the topic at hand uh enjoy it enjoy it while you can connecticut because it, it won't last too long um so uh, i don't have much other analysis here so i'll simply take this opportunity to note that we covered this story on nyonlinegambling.com, a newly launched or newly relaunched site in our portfolio, Mm -hmm. uh, which listeners should check out. Uh, You have an article up on the site, John, and uh, this article was written by our newest colleague, Bennett Conlin. Uh, Welcome, Bennett. Your trial-by-fire interview appearance on On will be coming soon
3: enough. Yeah, and I think to the gaming media industry, I think the point is, resistance is futile <laughs> <laughs> There you go. all
1: right uh our fifth and final story this week sees traveling man john at another gaming conference uh, although he didn't have to travel far this week he already mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation of uh, the various news stories here that he was at the east coast gaming conference at harrah's in atlantic city i'll give you the floor john uh, share your two or three most notable takeaways from this two-day event
3: uh, well, first, uh, a five-hour round trip over two days. Yeah, that was far enough, thanks. Uh, it was seemed far to me. But anyway, uh, as with the G2E conference in Las Vegas, I attended earlier this month. Visitation of the event was down, but not disastrously so. So it, it, was, it was fine. Uh, proof of vaccination was required at both events, but Atlantic City masks were not required and were worn by just a small minority. Uh, and while, yes, there is an election for governor uh, in next week, why do you ask? Uh, which reminds <laughs> me, some significant flooding events on Tuesday It did make incumbent Governor Murphy switch from in-person to virtual keynote speaker kind of inevitable and understandable uh, of course he also avoided the possibility of running across the casino smoking ban rally outside uh, mm. a cause that he supports but hey let's not remind gambling smokers until late next week okay and uh, the other one that i really liked was uh we had a decades long pal the late sheldon adelson resurrect the old online casino will destroy u.s gambling meme uh, but with a twist as you'll see in a story that i believe will run on friday or monday so that was kind of fun because that uh that really takes the air out of some people's balloons which is entertaining to me and of course we had a panel on betting on esports yeah we still haven't squared that circle but you know maybe someday
1: Uh, I like I like the tease for the upcoming story there. I'm I'm quite curious now. And uh, yeah, uh, it it seems clear that Governor Murphy was went out of his way to not uh, commit to any positions on anything right at this particular (laughs) moment in time. Um, I have to ask you, though, John, as you said, you were just at G2E. You'll be at Mm. SBC in about a month. Um, It's a lot of the same speakers saying a lot of the same things. How often are you just like, well, that was an interesting angle the first 35 times I heard it, but I'm kind of bored by it uh, at this point. Does that tend to happen a lot during these?
3: It, it, it's a battle. I mean, the this esports one, I, and I wrote about it that I liked, was that there was sort of like a blueprint put out there. Like, this is how we can get there to esports betting um which i haven't heard before now nobody's there and nobody seems to figure it out yet but at least there's a blueprint so yeah i'm trying to find that but i got to admit the right before the last speaker for east coast gaming congress uh, i was talking to uh veteran associated press reporter, Wayne Parry who I've known for 20 years. And I just said, and I think I got the right analogy. Uh, I'm tapping out. Yeah. I, I just couldn't do it. I got in the car and I took off. Cause you can't, you can't do every panel over, you know, three days at G2A or two days at East says gaming Congress. I mean, you have to kind of know your limits uh, almost like gambling. really. There you go.
2: Perfect. All right. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview.
1: The more forms of gambling that get legalized and the more states they get legalized in, the more there's a national conversation about gambling, the more there need to be conversations about responsible gambling. This week in the interview segment of the podcast, we will have one such conversation. Joining us now is the Executive Director of the National Council on Problem Gambling, a position he's held since 1998. He is, I would assume, our first guest ever to have a line on his bio indicating he studied at a university in the Netherlands, Keith White. Keith, welcome to Gamble On. (laughs)
2: Hey, John, Eric. Thanks so much.
1: (laughs) Um, So let's start with the, the big news that john and i discussed on last week's show the ncpg's new partnership with a little band of upstarts called the nfl Um, what can you tell us about how long this has been in the works and and how it came together and what would you say to anyone who's skeptical who, who thinks the nfl is just looking out for its image here
2: Sure. So, I mean, to start, you know, we, we started, we engaged with NCAA and the leagues, you know, all the way back in, in 2007, 2008. Uh, the NCAA used to have this uh, sports wagering summit where they brought together, you know, obviously the, the, the kind of sports stakeholders, as well as uh, folks that were doing research and prevention around, you know, youth gambling. And so uh, really this started in 2008, let's say. Uh, I started going up to New York and meeting with, with league executives, primarily on the security side. After that, you know, I've met with the, from the commissioner on down. uh, And as advocates, you know, a big part of our job is is to, once you get that initial introduction, and I'm sure many of your guests who are members of the casino industry can testify to this. Once, you know, once we start getting introduced, then we start kind of climbing that ladder and working up and broadening and deepening that connection. So a few years ago, post-PAPSPA, you know, the NFL uh, became a member of the National Council. Uh it was, you know, there are other leagues who are members as well, but NFL tends to set the tone. And then once they became a member, you know, we we again began kept engaging them and kept moving them up the levels of membership because we're we're a membership-based nonprofit, you know, and we, we make no bones about it. We don't get any government or federal support. It all comes from all comes from our members, most of whom, but as you've seen, not all of whom are gambling folks. Uh so you know, the, the, the NFL and the other leagues became members. We kept working, kept working. Uh, we would come present at their at their conferences. We would talk about uh, trying to change the conversation. From in the early days, as you can imagine, it was solely uh, compliance, law enforcement. You know, just say no. It, gambling is a problem. Gambling by athletes is a problem. You know that that was that that was where it kind of started. It security based conversation, but and that's. Our part of that is that one of your biggest risks to security might well be players or personnel who have a gambling problem, as we've seen with Donaghy and, you know, all these other, uh, all these other examples, and that they needed to think about it not just as security, because integrity game is always going to be primary for the leagues, right? But they also need to think about it from the health of their players' personnel, uh, and that a gambling addiction, yes, is a threat to integrity. It's also a threat to, the, to, the, to these individuals, and that these two things reinforce each other so by the time papspo was repealed uh we the, the nfl was it was a you know, a platinum member of the national council they were in fact um ahead of many of the other uh gambling uh, organizations who you might expect would have already been you know front and center and uh then post papsville we, we moved pretty rapidly into having broad conversations with almost everybody but security uh player engagement comms and, and their social responsibility department and it's there, it was those conversations from 2018 on that led them to become a member of our leadership circle uh, last year with, with a commitment of $75,000. And then uh, this year uh, we, we developed this partnership, which is for us, the largest grant we've ever received. It's transformational for the national council and all that, but I'll stop there. So that that's the history. It's been a long time coming. There's been a lot of engagement with a lot of people over a lot of years. And uh, it's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of heroes in this story. I mean, I'm just lucky to be here and kind of take the credit when it all, when it all comes, comes to fruition. Okay.
1: And so, so then you almost kind of hinted at an answer to the second part of the question in that, in terms of, if people are are skeptical uh, of their intentions, it sounds like you're saying that they were sort of gradually brought on board in terms of believing in, in the importance of, of this sort of program and the positives of it for the NFL.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And there's always going to be skeptics. I mean, we we expect that, you know, frankly, since 1972, there have been anti gambling folks and there have been pro industry folks who constantly shoot at us from both sides. I know that we're in the middle when we're taking fire from from everywhere else, you know, because that means that we're probably in the middle. So we expect this, you know, as advocates, we certainly don't make anybody happy all the time. And, uh, you know, we, we knew going into this that there would be and, and there will be criticism. You know, we, we listen to all of it, but we, our lodestar is that we're neutral on legalized gambling and that we advocate for people with gambling problems. That was true in 1972 when we were founded by Recovering Gamblers to be their voice. You know, that's true in, in 2021. Uh, what's changed, obviously is the level of acceptance of responsible gambling, which you know, we've deliberately driven, and now the involvement of non-gambling organizations. And so to be able to partner, to be, the, to be a strategic partner with one of those recognized brands uh, on the globe it is, is for us enormous. And we, you know, I'll talk about some of the things. It's, it, the money for us is, is not as, nearly as important as the uh, ability to reach fans you know, and, and the ability to, to leverage our brand with theirs and, you know, and, and to transcend, um, when Caesars does responsible gambling, it's because it's Caesars and that's great and appropriate. And we, we applaud that, you know, when NFL starts to do it, that changes the conversation that opens up the space for Nike and Coke and everyone else to engage in this, like they would in other issues. They've just always shied away from gambling. It's always been taboo and it's been moralistic and it's been all this. And as you all know, you know, Everyone benefits by having open, honest conversations around gambling, even open, honest conversations about the downside, harm. That's how we've gotten to where we are with alcohol, where almost everybody accepts that, yes, you have an individual right to drink, but yes, it's individual responsibility, and that nobody wants to see someone driving drunk. You know, 20 years ago, uh, you wouldn't have grabbed my keys if you saw me walking out of the bar loaded. You know, now you'd almost be tackled you know people there's a there's now there's been a societal shift and while we shifted in gambling now the vast majority of americans believe it's okay for themselves or others to gamble they still heavily stigmatize and blame and shame those with gambling problems in a way that we don't about to someone with an alcohol problem and so that's that next shift and that's what these partnerships with leagues and others are going to finally help us do. It's going to break out of this little silo that we've been in. It's been a good silo. It's been an important silo. You know, that, that that's whose opinions we have to change first. But now, instead of shaping industry opinions towards responsible gambling, we're shaping all American public opinions towards gambling. And that's that big, that's that big shift. Yeah. And Keith, you
3: mentioned the NFL kind of sets the tone. I mean, it just seems to me that and as you talked about it, this is a broader thing than just, uh, you know, the amount of money coming in, which is great, but there's more to it. But every other major sports league I would have to think is saying, wow. And again, the most cynical person would say, you know, let's just throw in 3 million and we'll make ourselves look good. And the most positive person would say, look, we recognize that we are involved as partners, a lot of gambling companies, uh, you potentially at risk people are trusting us and we're encouraging them to gamble and some small percentage of them may wind up in trouble. So we need to invest in trying to, uh, assist in this matter and your organization is an obvious one. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm trying to imagine if you can get four or five other major uh, leagues into multi-million dollar commitments as well. Um, you know, I don't think you'll ever have too much money, but uh, you know, can, can you dare to dream? You know, how big can this get if it goes like I said? I, I don't see why the other leagues wouldn't do the same thing.
2: I can I can tell you that we're having active discussions with with some of the other major leagues. Uh, we have a number of, uh, of of again leagues that are already members. You know, that have been in Major League Baseball has been a long time member. NBA, you know, Women's Tennis Association joined this year. So um, those conversations are ongoing. I I think, again, NFL sets the tone and the lead. And their uh, adoption of us as this strategic partner has really helped, you know, push those doors farther open with with the rest of their peers. And, you know, and I think, again, they're seeing the the, the benefits of it. Uh, They know uh, that there's a lot to be done. And and I want to be clear, too. NFL has not solved problem gambling. And and even the three areas that that we agreed to work on, they're not even going to solve those three areas. You know, this is this is a a big injection of money for us, but it's a field that's been so historically underfunded that, that you know, no amount of league partnerships are really going to truly reduce the rate and severity of gambling problems. We're talking about moving needle on public opinion, shoring up some of the big obvious gaps that frankly industry has been content to leave, industry and government have been content to leave wide open. And I think the leagues, the other thing that's fascinating, I know you guys think about this a lot too. We look at this from a national perspective. You know, most of the the industry looks at it quite the opposite. It's very state specific. But when you're looking at this from a national perspective and you see big states like Texas or little places like DC, neither of whom have spent ever a single cent of public money to prevent or treat gambling problems and who want now and who now have teams that are very interested in legalizing sports betting, you know, at some point, the, the sports leagues are looking around the operators and saying, how did you let this go for so long? Because it's going to take us a hell of a lot of work to be able to build up any infrastructure to be able to operate responsibly. And, you know, didn't this occur to you all over the last 30 years? <laughs> did, did, did no one think that, that it would be a good idea to have a safety net in place before we did the largest and fastest expansion in our history? Mm.
1: Interesting. So I'm curious for your, for your take, uh, Keith, on um, in-game sports betting from a problem gambling standpoint. Obviously, yeah. in-game has been growing rapidly. Uh, my personal experience is that forms of gambling where you're making lots of little decisions, placing lots of bets, spinning the reels over and over, et cetera, make it easier to go on tilt. And in-game mm-hmm. betting can have that effect for sports bettors. Is that in line with the NCPG's findings? And do you feel the industry is paying enough attention to the potential downside of in-game betting?
2: Well, we are doing a massive social experiment. Uh, you know, Americans haven't really had opportunity to do in-play, certainly not through mobile. Uh, and the research is still kind of in its infancy in the UK. It's certainly, as you say, there are structural characteristics uh, of in-play that are associated with higher rates of problems. Not causation, but association, right? High speed of play, high frequency. Um, it it takes almost all the skill <laughs> out of gambling, out of sports betting in some ways. Mm-hmm. And skill can be a protective factor. It can also be a risk factor. It, it, it goes it goes both ways. But these are much more akin, frankly, to slot bets than they are to you know strategic investing. You know, outcome of the game, and you've studied you know the performance and every every blade of grass. There is skill involved in, in in play, no question. But I don't know how anybody can truly accurately calculate the odds of a particular pitcher, you know, getting a particular result on a particular pitch. You know, I'm sure someone can't somewhere. And frankly, there's, the industry's moving quick, but I don't know how a, an average gambler can. So, so yes, in play is likely associated with higher rates of problems. Um, but it's also true that that technology can be protected. And what a lot of what we're seeing in the UK is trying to find a way to balance you use that technology to better balance that ledger a little bit, you know, give, give individual gamblers a little bit more information, give them a little bit more control, uh, give them more of the tools they need to make better decisions around and even things like in play that are, that are quite aggressive. And, and I think, so I think there's a lot of promise there in the United States, it's still unrealized, right? No jurisdictions requiring this, um, you know, no one's, no one's requiring like they do in the UK to, to use, to use the information you collect on players, uh, for, for positive Reasons instead of just marketing loyalty. Um, that is an affirmative requirement in the UK. No, no. As far as I know, no jurisdiction in the US says you've got to look at these markers of harm, these tetrabytes of data you're collecting, and do anything with it except just revenue, more revenue. Um, so, so I, it could be done. And and it, so that's how I would address in play. Higher risk, yes. You know, so let's try and get better at uh, making sure folks that do in play. Are are better equipped to to do it responsibly.
1: Yeah, I'm just kind of uh, sort of spitballing off the top of my head, but it, it kind of sounds like maybe one approach that sportsbooks could take uh, could take from a, a a responsible gaming standpoint would be to encourage betters to set some sort of in in play betting limit before they get started. If there's some something within the app that even if you're even if it doesn't apply to pregame bets, you like to bet. 500 bucks on a, on a regular game or whatever, that's fine. But that you can sort of set your limit that my in-play bets will never be more than 50 bucks or something like that. I wonder whether the, the, the operators have, have looked into sort of setting separate limits uh, on, on the apps for in-play as opposed to pregame bets.
2: When we launched our Internet Responsible Gambling Standards in 2015, which is the first and still only, you know, U.S. specific set of, of guidelines uh, for, for Internet uh, Responsible Gambling, um, that was a big part of it, that, that we had some operator feedback that said you should allow players to customize their limits by, by game. Uh, because what's, what might be good for poker might not be great for blackjack and so on and so forth. And so that's a principle that we've had uh, for the last six years. It's difficult, we know, but it's, it's doable because I think it's, that's exactly to your point. And, you know, I know, for example, certain derivatives trades or certain other trades in the financial side, you have to you have to demonstrate either a level of experience or, you know, a net worth. I wouldn't be opposed to saying you you, if you're going to do in play betting, you have to set your limit. Like, you know, it's mandatory. I don't necessarily care what that limit is. And some joker could say, oh, my limit's a billion dollars. Okay, fine. But. I think for the vast majority of people, they say, look, if you want to engage with sports band, that's fine. But if you're going to engage with in-play, there's a little bit of higher risk with this product. So you have to set a limit. You can make that limit any one thing you want. You can change it at any time, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that would go a long way towards uh, doing it because right now we know that the tools, almost all the operators have great online tools in place and almost nobody uses them. You know, in Australia, it's 2% of of folks Mm. uh, tend to engage with those tools. And so um, I, you know, I think you flip that around and make it a little bit more, more um, uh, mandatory voluntary than voluntary mandatory, you know, opt, opt out instead of opt in. And I think you would imp- greatly help people. And if we believe everything we say about responsible gambling, that would build better, more sustainable, happier, and more engaged customers with longer lifetime value. This is not just a feel good thing because the you know, National Council says it's a good idea. If, if everything operators say about responsible gambling is true, then this should be net positive for operators. They should be making more revenue off longer sustainable customers, reducing their churn, you know, I, I, all the good things that, that, that would come
3: from that. You know, Keith, I was at the uh, East Coast Gaming Congress at Atlantic City this week, and you know, for the most part, the panelists were kind of go go go, grow grow grow, and you know, how big can it get, and all that is very positive. But uh, you know, a couple of panels had two different warnings. One is the potential for oversaturation of advertising, which we've seen the backlash in Europe, and then the other was uh, what happens if the number of uh, compulsive gamblers grow significantly, which we're not sure of. I mean, uh, Europe is a good guide in the sense of th- they've been at this for so long that we kind of have a sense of how much it grows when, you know, more more gambling comes to a certain country, but cultures are different too. So I don't think you can just say, well, this is what happened in Australia. This is what happened in Sweden. So we know that the United States is going to do the exact same thing. So we really, you know, it was a good warning. I thought that the idea is, look, there's two things that could slow us up. The commercials are one, but also what if Americans are just sort of uniquely vulnerable to this um, compulsive gambling and uh, when it wasn't legal they didn't quite get it and now they do so do you think that you know a lot of regulators and do you find talk with the leagues is there is there enough level of concern about hey we got to be careful this is great we're all making money but there could be something there are they are they properly sort of uh, nervous and concerned about this possibility
2: no. So I think there, I think there's a lot of discussion now. If I had a, if I had a dime for every time someone said, "Oh, we're going to b- avoid the black backlash in the United States," I'd already be retired on my own private island. <laughs> um, but action is is a different thing. And regulators, frankly, have historically uh, been the hardest group to engage with. We have the easiest time with operators and vendors. They get it, and you know they, they're they're great partners. Uh, state government is very difficult to work with. Um, you know, a state like Pennsylvania. Let's just pull one out of a, out of a hat has refused to fund a prevalence study. So Pennsylvania doesn't want to know, you know, affirmatively over, the, over how many years they've been engaged with lottery and casino. They have gone out of their way never to count the number of people who may have a gambling problem. You know, so going to the Pennsylvania legislature and saying, hey guys, look, you know, you should be, you, you've, you've got a responsibility here. Um, you know, it's just like the conversation around the backlash. It's always someone else's responsibility. And then in regulators, frankly, most regulators are still—they um, still take that old, if you will, the old sports leagues approach. It's law enforcement. It's compliance. You know, there there are regulators that will argue to this day that they're not allowed to address problem gambling. It's not in their statute. And if that was written in the 70s and 80s, they may be right. You know, but it's just—but regulators often find a way to address an issue if they really want to address it. But. Many of our regulators are particularly ill equipped. They have no public health background. They're accountants, they're regulators, they're ex, you know, ex law enforcement. And nor do they have any track record of doing it. I think, I, I want to be clear, I think regulators should be involved in the, in the problem gambling conversation, but it terrifies me to think what their approach to uh, a law enforcement regulatory compliance based approach to, to a public health issue like responsible gambling is going to be. Um, it's, States and regulators have not been engaged in this in the past. If they do want to jump in now, we'd love that, but they need a lot of help because this is not something you can just mandate out of existence. It trivializes the addiction to say, oh, we can just improve our rules or we can reduce ads and that's somehow going gonna to solve, you know, solve problem gambling. Uh, and, and I know regulators aren't saying that, but um, you know, we, an, an organization like ours, we've got 50 years of experience at working with folks. We know how to live that public health model. And if there's anything we do, it's bringing together all those stakeholders. So we're, we've got an active outreach effort where we're offering free membership of the National Council to any commercial casino regulator, to any tribal casino regulator, to, to learn how to productively engage, because you know, that's our partnership model. We partner with the industry, we partner with regulators, partner with recovering gamblers, partner with researchers, partner partner, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and try and come up with some private sector solutions that may be better than government imposing. Uh, because I think rarely has that been effective in any other social issue and it would probably not be very effective in gambling to the extent that we could even get states to care. Because again, there, there's still, there's still states, there's still a number of states that provide no public funding to prevent or treat addiction, uh, gambling addiction period. And, uh, that's to then say, oh, that state's going to take the lead in minimizing harm. Is (laughs) You know, (laughs) I think we can do a better job of that. And I think that's been our value proposition of the industry we can absolutely design a more efficient, effective program than perhaps uh, a state health agency or regulator can impose.
1: All right. Really uh, interesting stuff. Uh, we appreciate uh, such such thoughtful uh, responses, Keith. Uh, it's been great uh, having you on the podcast. And uh, before we let you go, we should just say congratulations again on, uh, on the deal <laughs> with the NFL. Not bad. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us on Gamble On.
2: Yeah, thank you. Like, I'm a big fan of the podcast. So it's, it's huge uh, to, be, uh, to be on it. And uh, again, it's, it's a neat, it's an evolving conversation. It's a great one. And uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential. There's a lot of good things to come as we revolutionize, you know, not just gambling, but that, that conversation around uh, the, the public health aspects of this. And, and I think we can do a lot. Yeah. But Keith, you got to plug your website now. Come on. That's right. Well, responsibleplay.org was 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 yeah. built in. Uh, we we actually again, this is the history is great. We registered that domain name six years ago because we originally were going to build it for the um, arguably not legally gambling space, uh, DFS, um, social casino, prediction, all that stuff, and that's still relevant. And you'll see now we we do we do not see it as a sports betting site or a site just for sports betters. We see it for gamers. We see it for people that are traders even, you know, that that Robin Hood effect. Um, so yeah, responsibleplay.org, it is something NFL is going to promote. We hope the other leagues are going to promote. We hope the operators are going to promote. And I, I think it's it's a very positive site that doesn't lean in on the problem gambling side, leans in on the responsibility side. And that I think is that that next step
1: gonna say john if the if the journalism thing doesn't work out you got a future in in pr reminding the that's guests right, to get the right. plug in there yeah. that was
2: well done hey 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 fair. idiot yeah yeah <laughs> yourself uh you know it's uh <laughs> you need that all right, all right. thanks keith <laughs> thanks again yeah. keith and i look forward to seeing y'all and, and having a beer or something at uh at svc uh, yeah, that, that's good. where all the good that's where all the good stuff gets done yeah. Yeah. absolutely <laughs>
3: <laughs> two men two
2: men ten thousand dollars
3: Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
1: We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll. And the news this week is more bad than good. Uh, We went one and two. Let's address the two losses first. One of them was John's uh, Indiana plus 21 versus Ohio (laughs) State. We could have doubled the number of points we were getting in that one, and it still would have lost. Um, So that one cost us $110. The other defeat was mine. I had Shakur Stevenson by decision at minus 130, I wouldn't quite call this a bad beat, but we got mildly unlucky in that he was cruising to a dominant decision win through nine rounds. But then his opponent, Jamel Herring, suffered a cut and the fight was stopped in the 10th. And cuts are part of the game, but I think it probably goes the distance if not for the cut. Uh, So that one cost us one hundred thirty dollars on the positive side. The old three team ten point teaser came through for us. Uh, Bucks minus two and a half was an easy win. Cards minus seven and a half started poorly, but it ultimately was an easy cover. And Rams minus five and a half was the big sweat, but we pulled that one out. So we won $100 there. That means we lost $140 for the week. We're now down by a rather ugly (sighs) $1,617. We also have $1,210 on hold in Futures bets. So we're left with $7,173 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John.
3: Yeah, well, you know, the old gambling adage is true, Eric. If the team you pick gets outscored by 30 points in the second quarter, you're pretty much a dead man walking. And that's what happened. With that I game. haven't heard
1: that adage, but it does sound logical. Yeah,
3: it, it is. It's true. It, it, it pans out every time. Uh, that's the second straight week uh, of a completely pathetic Big Ten pick by me. But it won't happen a third time, I promise. That's because my pathetic pick this week is actually not in the Big Ten. Uh, it's Cincinnati. I got minus 24 and a half with 110 to 100 by beating up Tulane. You know, I got an extra point here by betting MGM line compared to DraftKings and got a better price than the points bet was offering. So that's uh, not going to matter. But still, let's <laughs> do it. Every now and then it pays off. You know, the Bearcats faded late. Uh, last week against a pesky Navy squad and I think all Americans really want our Navy Army and Air Force to be pesky at least Um, so that's good to see a little encouraging down the road and uh, you know Cincinnati knows they need to rub a bushel full of salt into Solane's wounds in the second half of this game to make up for that weak win with the voters they're not they think they're getting into the playoffs they're undefeated it's not going to happen but they don't know any better so I think they run up the score here.
1: Okay. Um, For my first bet, uh, I'm going to add to our NFL futures portfolio. I love the price FanDuel is offering on the Kansas City Chiefs to miss the playoffs. They're paying plus 172 on KC to miss out. I never could have foreseen this before the season, but the Chiefs have a lot of problems. We know the defense is subpar but now the offense can only score three points against a Tennessee defense that other teams have been generally shredding. Uh, Remember the guy who bet uh, the Chiefs to have the worst record in the NFL? Um, He's still a fool. They aren't that bad, but they aren't good. And uh, Andy Reid remains an average coach who people mistook for a great coach because he got more than 20 bites at the apple, drafted a special quarterback, and won one Super Bowl. Uh, Anyway, uh, they are three and four right now. Their schedule is not easy the rest of the way. Uh, they should probably handle the Giants this week, but then they still have the Packers, the Cowboys, the Chargers, the surprising Bengals, two against the competent Raiders. They've already beaten the Eagles in Washington, so they'll be done with NFC East doormats after this week. I would guess they'll lose four more games, and that puts them at 9-8. and eight. I don't think that's good enough to get into the playoffs. Maybe they get to 10 and seven, then they might get in depending on tiebreakers. All in all, they're about 50-50 in my view, but we're getting plus 172 because, well, they're the Chiefs. The public still believes in them, so the price is askew. Let's bet $100 to win 172 and root against the Chiefs every week.
3: I I love that pick. I mean, if Andy Reid was ever going to learn about clock management, uh, it was going to be before he won two consecutive AFC championships. He's not learning now. He's too old to do it. So, and, you know, I mentioned last year that I had already grown tired of Pat Mahomes, even though he, his dad pitched for the Mets and he seems like a charming guy, you know, without question, but aside from being, you know, great, he also got a little too lucky, a little too soon. So let's have him get kicked in the teeth uh, this year. So we can be for him again next year. That's my right. thought. Yeah, for my second pick, let's go back to basics, which for me was the golfer top 20 at around even money odds. That was my bread and butter. I won money on that. I got away from it and uh, paid dearly. So it's a weak field in Bermuda this week, but there are a few gems hidden in this field. And one is Irishman Seamus Power, don't you know? Hmm. I'm getting him at even money for top 20 on BetMGM for the best odds and no chop if he ties for 19th with eight other guys or whatever. That's a full payout. So it's good value for a guy who at age 34 is having a summer and some of the fall of his life. He had made two cuts here and two tries even before his breakthrough too. So Seamus power for hundred. For hundred.
1: All right. Um, So I am two and one with my teasers on the pod this season. So let's press our luck, uh, but, but do so in a relatively safe manner. I don't love a lot of the teaser options this week. There are only two I feel really good about, and I want to pay a little extra to move them eight points to get past some key numbers. So we have the bills, minus 13 and a half at home against the Dolphins. If we move at eight points, we get Buffalo minus five and a half. And then we have the Bengals at the Jets I feel particularly comfortable with Mike white at quarterback for the jets. The Bengals are 10 and a half point favorites. So we knock that all the way down to minus two and a half. So it's bills minus five and a half Bengals minus two and a half, because we moved at so many points and it's only two teams. It's priced at minus minus one sixty nine. So we will risk $169 to win a hundred. Uh, and then uh, I'm, I'm throwing in a very quick boxing bet here as well. It's totally unrelated. This is like a, uh, attaching the UIGEA to a port security bill, for example. Uh, But here goes, Uh, Saturday night on Showtime, Jamal James versus Rajab Butayev. absolute coin flip fight. The books have James, even money, and Butayev minus 120. This fight has legit draw potential, and I just don't wanna miss out when our draw finally comes in. It's 16 to one, so let's throw 10 bucks down to win 160. And we finished the show with the Fast Five, where John just kept on chugging along with yet another winning week. He went three and two to raise his record to 21, 13, and one. And I would have gone a matching three and two, but predictably my Costanza opposite strategy worked against me and I went two and three. Uh, I was kind of hoping I'd go two, two and one so I could make an even Steven declaration. uh, But uh, I narrowly missed out on that. So my record is now a dreary 13 and 22. And I'll tell you in advance, John, I am abandoning the opposite strategy. Tried it once. Didn't work out. I'm getting back to trying to make the best picks I can. Uh, But you are up first this week.
3: Uh, yeah, Eric, you, you did kind of harsh my buzz of the week by flipping to my Saints on Monday night. And as Geno Smith danced around the end zone for the Seahawks with a fourth and 28 and a minute left, like Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed over the swimming pool in the holiday classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life. I felt as if having the the uh, Saints there might have lifted me to that miraculous spread covering safety in a four-on-one record, but... You flip to the Saints, and yeah, we know what happened there. (laughs) I'm
1: I'm a cooler. I I pretty much cooler. Yeah, yeah. So
3: instead, this season, I've now gone three and two, three and two, three and two. Two and three, three, one and one, four and one, and three and two. I'm putting the method in methodical, I suppose, <laughs> but I'm not complaining. So, first up, uh, Lions plus three and a half at home versus the Eagles in the game I vote is most likely one where we match. Uh, the Lions laid an egg versus the Bengals a few weeks ago, but we're back to being feisty versus the Rams. And finally, they get the first win of the season this week. And four late window games, after having none in the late window last week, by coincidence, uh, one is a Seahawks minus three and a half at home versus the Jaguars. I'm right that the Hawks are going nowhere, and that's going to continue. But Trevor Lawrence gets overwhelmed by the dome crowd this week, I would assume. Uh, then Chargers minus six versus Patriots who have swept the jets and beaten the Texans by three points for their three wins. Um, they came close against the bucks, but that's Belichick uh, insider trading on Brady's brain and close against the Cowboys, but they were out gained by about 200 yards in the game. So that was a fluke to even get to overtime. Uh, I'm not as high on the Chargers as you are, Eric, but they do cover here. Okay. Then Washington plus three at Broncos. Some of the Eagles lions game this week and last week's Dolphins Jags game that I got right if you don't see either team as better then take the points Uh, team has a historically bad third down defense and any week where that normalizes or even gets close to it they're actually going to finally cover a game and lastly the Buccaneers minus five and a half points at the Saints a nudge against the Saints for flying 2,000 miles east after a Monday night game and the Saints offense just really can't keep up here
1: All right. So we have um, two picks in common, no head to heads, and uh, your instincts are correct about what one of those picks in common is. But I'll I'll, I'll get to that shortly. Um, I'll start with a game. I'm not picking, but I I just want to say that if I knew for a fact that Tyrod Taylor was starting, I would be all over Houston plus 14 and a half at home against (sighs) the Rams. But it seems that's a long shot. Davis Mills yeah. is the likely starter. So I'm staying away. So first up, give me the Packers tonight at Arizona. The Packers injury news got this all the way up to plus seven in the super contest. That's just too many points. Uh, even, even without Devonte Adams and Alan Lazard, which I know that's the reason that the move that the line moves so much. I actually think Green Bay can win this game outright. Uh, the Cardinals have some injury issues of their own. J.J. Watt appears done for the season. DeAndre Hopkins is questionable with a hamstring injury, although I expect him to play. Um, I made a money line bet in real life, and I'm uh, all over Green Bay with the seven points. Uh, from those two top teams to two subpar teams that need a win to hang around in the wild card picture, the three and three Falcons at home against the three and four Panthers, the Panthers are unraveling, or really they've, already kind of unraveled, whereas the Falcons are starting to figure some things out, including how to use Kyle Pitts. Um, Sure, they've only been beating bad teams, Giants, Jets, Dolphins, but Carolina without McCaffrey is a bad team. Falcons favored by three. I think they should cover that. Next, you called it. Lions getting three and a half at home against my Eagles. I got to go with it. I tried to pick against the Eagles last week, but the opposite strategy stung me on that one. Uh, The Lions really want to win one for themselves and for Dan Campbell. They might not win, but I think they'll at least keep it close. Uh, Next is the other pick we share. I still don't believe in the Saints at all. I think they're a fairly fraudulent four and two. They do have a very good defense, but I would expect Brady and Tampa Bay and the number one rated, rated offense by DVOA to knock it down a few rungs. This could be a total blowout. Uh, I might look into the payout on some adjusted lines and see what I can get for, you know, Bucks minus 14 or Bucks minus 17 or something. Uh. The line is Bucks by five and a half. So, like you, I'm taking Tampa there. And lastly, the trap game Vikings plus one and a half against the Cowboys Vikings at home in prime time off a bye with Dalvin cook fully healthy again, the Cowboys have won five straight this feels like their stumble game against a defense good enough to slow them down a little. The line is fishy. The books are, are are daring all those Cowboys fans to bet mm-hmm. on the Cowboys. So I will take the Vikes getting a point and a half. And uh, and now I wait to go 0-5 and, and kick myself for giving up on the opposite strategy too soon.
3: <laughs> wow, that'll be brutal. Uh, well, good luck. Good luck to you on the two of those games anyway. <laughs>
1: there we go. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Keith White. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow us bets at us underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out.
3: Yeah, you know, it was gratifying to meet some of you out there who listen to the podcast. Uh, They caught up with me at the East Coast Gaming Congress in at Atlantic City earlier this week. Uh, you know, lately, it's a little deja vu for me all over again. Uh, you know, when I started my blog called Meadowlands Matters, while I was working at Record in 2010. It wasn't long before I noticed that kind of startling change in how some members of the public treated me when they saw me at events like press conferences that were open to the public or hearings in Trenton. You know, because I was more conversational and tone on the blog, readers felt more of a connection. And that translated to me seeing me more approachable, apparently. And you know, I can't even count how many front page newspaper stories I wound up landing because of new valuable sources I gained from the trust they placed in me as a like a dual reporter and blogger than I was before. And now it happened happens at every gaming industry event, thanks to this podcast, and, you know, it's equally gratifying. Uh, Yeah, this is the real me, warts and all, or these days, aches and pains and all. (laughs) So if anyone who who, uh, listens and didn't quite push forward to say hello this week, uh, well, consider this your free pass the next time around. You know, I learn a little more about our audience with every bit of feedback, and please keep it coming. And with that, until next time, gamble on.